Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. There are numerous ceremonies scheduled Monday for the Martin Luther King holiday. Two distinguished educators are keynoting ceremonies at Washington University and the University of Missouri-St. Louis. We'll begin with Dr. Freeman Hrabowski. He served as president of the University of Maryland, Baltimore County since 1992. His accolades and awards are numerous. Time magazine has named him one of the 10 best college presidents in the country. He was active in the civil rights movement with Dr. King. I spoke with him yesterday and asked what message he will bring to St. Louis. Well, I'm delighted to be coming there. And what I will be talking about is uh, education over the past 50 years and what, where we are as a society as we think about the extent to which families are able to help educate their, their children and to think about the significance of um, Martin Luther King Day and what he stood for and how far we've come and at the same time, how far we have to go. I wanted to bring it up because it comes up every year on this uh, on this uh, date, the Martin Luther King Day. We have references to the I Have a Dream speech, of course, and the question that always has to be asked is how far have we come in realizing that dream? Yeah, it's a great question to ask. I'll be using my own story as a child leader in the civil rights movement in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, marching with those children under the leadership of Dr. King in 1963 and looking at where we were then uh, when thinking about the education of American families. Uh, most people don't realize that only 10% of Americans had graduated from college in the early 60s. Today we're up to about 30, about a third, not quite a third of Americans. And it, it varies depending on group. And for in that early 60s period, only about 3% of blacks had graduated from college. And today we're up to over 20%. And people are really surprised to learn that only 11% of whites had graduated. And that group is up to about 37%. So we've certainly made progress. And when a family whether talking about um, with any of the groups you can mention, the Hispanics or um, the, the Asian population, we've all made progress. And for those families who have had more education and have developed the skills to get good jobs, things are certainly better than they were. The, the, the biggest challenge that we face is that while the top group economically in our country will see uh, about an 80% chance of their kids graduating from college, the fact is that those in the bottom quarter we'll see under 10% right now, under 10% actually graduating from college. So, and that's of all races. So one of the largest challenges, the big challenge we face is to help people who don't have the opportunities right now to succeed and to go on and get a college degree. That's a big part of the problem. And the other is that we are divided as a society. We've got to think about ways, and divided on many different levels, uh, ways of finding the common ground. So this has been a 50-year experiment you think about it. It's only been in the past 50 years that we've been trying to bring more people into mainstream, middle-class America, and we have made some progress. So yes, we have made some progress, but we have many challenges, very clearly. Well, you're coming to a community, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, that has been racially polarized for a long time, and I think uh, certainly came to the attention of the nation and even the world a couple of years ago with yeah. the Michael Brown incident. Uh, mm -hmm. What is your reflection on that as you prepare to come to St. Louis. Is this something sure. that you will work into your comments? No, it, it certainly is. Uh, people ask me the question all the time, does race matter? I'm, I, my name is Rybowski, and that's a, that's a Polish background there, but I am African-American. And, um, 
and my campus is one that has students from about 100 countries, but we lead the country in uh, producing African Americans who go on to become physician scientists. And so we talk about race a lot here with that group, but also we work with children who are first-time offenders, hundreds of little black boys and Hispanic boys, uh, trying to understand their challenges. The fact is that race still matters. We have made progress in that area. As I chaired the Obama Commission on Educational Excellence for African Americans, we certainly made progress in terms of percent of those who've gone on and gotten those college degrees and, and professional degrees. But the, the really really major challenge is that there continues to be an academic achievement gap, a health disparities gap, and economic uh, disparity between the races. And uh, much of that has to do with some of the structural issues in our, in our society. The National Academies of Sciences uh, was very clear in its report on the criminal justice system that there is structural racism that people have not been willing to face which has meant that um, young males of color, black boys and Hispanic boys, are much more likely to end up with a record when they commit a crime, as opposed to being given some kind of support in thinking through an educational approach than middle-class white children. That brings me back to Birmingham, because as you indicated earlier, you spent a little time in jail in Birmingham for marching with Dr. King. And of course, one of the most famous documents for the entire civil rights movement came out of that Birmingham jail. And one among the things he was saying, I believe uh, Dr. King said, I'm here because injustice is here. And that was 50 years ago. Yes. And and make no mistake, we see injustice in many ways in our society. And, and remember, he was talking to religious leaders, because we, we take great pride in this country of talking about religion, um, different types of religion, of course. Uh, but the fact is that so many people do believe in God and in fairness, and yet what we see is that we have a long way to go as a society. If we love this country, we have to be honest about uh, the fact that we do have a long way to go, and we have to find ways of helping whether they're black children or poor white children or young women or immigrants and others. Uh, and so one of the challenges that he would talk about and that he talked about was what are the values of the American society? Do we believe in our children? That's a fundamental question we should be asking. Do we believe that our children should have the chance to succeed? And do we understand how important it is to give them that education and the support as they have challenges in our society. One would have to think that were Dr. King alive today, uh, that he might be disappointed as to where we are. You know, I, I, I have no doubt right now that he would be very worried about our country and the fact that we have seen the divisions in the races, but those divisions have been there in many ways, and much of it has to do with people not knowing each other. On my own campus here at UMBC and University of Maryland, Baltimore County, we see people learning how to work together across the races and from other countries and to understand the commonality of humankind. And one of the ways we see that is by getting students involved in civic engagement, by help having college students working with children in math and reading and being mentors to them because these children in our cities and rural areas need support from people who are more privileged and college students certainly are some of the most privileged in the world whether or not they're from middle-class family or not they're getting the chance to become professionals and so we have to encourage my message will be we have a responsibility as we are becoming educated young people and others as we have 
good jobs and a house to think about how to pay it forward, how to help more children who may not have had what we've had, to be able to learn to read well and to compute and to, to dream about being a doctor or a scientist one day. One of the things that, that you're quoted as saying, you have to get kids to love to learn. How do you yes. do that? Enthusiasm. It's the passion that we have. You notice whether you're there in, in St. Louis or in Baltimore, everybody's passionate about athletics. And the question becomes, how do we get children to love mathematics? You know, people look at me like I'm crazy when I say that, but I get goosebumps doing math. You know, I always have. And I want faculty and teachers and others to show people the, the, the power of learning to read critically and to solve math problems and to help other people. And I think children learn from us. You look at our society. Do we see large numbers of adults who are excited about learning? We have to have adults and parents who are turning the TV off and focusing on reading because children are going to do what they see their parents doing and what they see others doing. And so I'm, I'm challenging American society to think about what's most important. Yes, there's a role for athletics, but what should be more important, teaching children to read or to play basketball? Well, you, you and also... it's not one or the other, but right now the enthusiasm in our society, as you know, is for the athletic side. We don't talk enough about the, the value of learning. My TED Talk talks about what it takes to succeed in science, but I, I, I deliver that TED Talk, as you saw, with great passion because I want people to understand we should be more excited about producing people who can help solve the problem of cancer, who can help people deal with diabetes and dementia. I mean, these are the kinds of problems that should get us all absolutely passionate because we want to solve these problems. And we can do that not only through STEM, but in using what we learn across the disciplines. There, there was a piece on uh, NPR last weekend about a math professor who use, uses Star Wars to talk about physics and momentum. Yeah. The idea being that you've got to make the curriculum relevant to these yeah. young kids. I yeah. mean, sport, sports might be used that way as well. It, it certainly can, and, and, and a number of my students really enjoy sports. We need physical fitness, there's no doubt about that, and it's great to learn how to compete and to work on teams. I, and people sometimes think I'm being disparaging when I say something about athletics. I'm simply saying to America, think about how excited you get when your city's team wins a national competition. We need that same kind of excitement about a science fair, or about teaching children how you work in physics or in engineering or in robotics. We've got to teach our children what we value most, and it should not simply be about entertainment or athletics. Well, it's not to say, I don't think, either, that um, they're mutually exclusive. There are a lot of scholar-athletes out there as well. Of course. Of course. And, you know, and I, I will tell you, I mean, I'm very proud of my basketball team, my soccer team, but they are, they are, they are students first and then athletes, quite frankly. And I'm talking about the, the priority and the value we place on these things. And, and I'm asking America to look in the mirror to determine what's most important for our children to learn. It's not to be negative about the athletics, but it is to say, and you'll see this on my campus, the life of the mind is the most important thing. Now, one of the reasons is that we have students from 100 countries, and they come here hungry to learn. We have to teach our children to be as hungry to learn as they are when they're coming from China and India and Russia. Because how else do we defend our country? We are very involved with the intelligence community on this campus. We are one of the largest feeders of the National Security Agency. Our agencies need, our military, our health care system, they need good thinkers. This is, I mean, we've got to help Americans understand there's the common ground. When you teach somebody to solve the problem of, of cancer, 
any race would be appreciative of that person coming to help them. And that, that's the message that I want to get across, that it's about the content of the character and the, the quality of the thinking and the compassion people have, not just the color of the skin. Let me put this, this thought uh, to you. We did a program on this uh, just a few days ago, and basically the, the program dealt with the, the fact that we need more tradespeople, that not everybody has to go to college, that there is so much pressure on trying to get all young people to go to college these days that, you know, we're going to have a severe shortage of, of tradespeople, and they can make good money, and there are plenty of good jobs out there, millions of them out there right now for people like this. No, I, I don't disagree with that. I am at a research university producing MDPH kids who are going to get MDPHDs. At the same time, we work with a lot of young people for a number of reasons who are not wanting to sit in a regular classroom to learn uh, one of the disciplines, history or English, whatever. There are certain skills that people need to have, whether they're going to go into trades or to be an auto mechanics or whatever. I mean, the ability to think well and to read instructions and, and to be able to follow through. These are skills that we'll need at all levels. But we do need people who can work in construction and who can work in the lower levels of biotechnology, for example. And there are many IT jobs that don't require a bachelor's degree. So you're right. We shouldn't have a cookie-cutter approach which says everybody needs to go to college. You, you may not know that almost half of Americans in higher education are in community colleges. Those are fine institutions that will have programs that can lead to transfer into four-year schools, but also have programs that involve, as I said, for example, auto mechanics. People may not realize it, but there's a certain level of computational sophistication one has to have to get into auto mechanics. You're talking about people who are working with computers, because that's what a car is now. So we, we have... We have remove this idea that when you talk about computers, you're talking about four-year degrees. No, they're used in all types of IT work that will not require a bachelor's degree. So I would agree with the idea. We need to give, we need to give young people uh, options. And what I will tell you is many students are bored simply sitting in a classroom. This is what we've worked on at my university. At UMBC, we really focus on active learning, collaboration, getting out into communities, uh, using what we're learning in those communities, getting them involved in HIV research, looking at the biochemistry related to the behavior of people and how we solve issues involving AIDS. I mean, so connecting people to the real work, whether it is in defense or intelligence or healthcare, or it's people who are going to be involved in studying English or uh, in studying the arts and because they're going to be involved in marketing or they're just creating beauty. There are ways of bringing passion to the work in the four-year institutions and the two-year institutions and broadly in post-secondary education. The term we should be using is people need post-secondary opportunities. That doesn't mean just a four-year liberal arts degree. Though I value that liberal arts degree, it is a number of options that we should be giving our young people. Your passion clearly is in the STEM disciplines, and it's easy to understand why, given... But your, you should understand. I have to tell you, because it's very important to say, yes, I am a mathematician, and I love math, but I also learn, love learning languages and philosophy. So one of the things we do in this country is we put people into one category or the other, but we need people who can, can talk across disciplines. So I'm a classical pianist. At the same time, that I love the math, that I love the literature. You know, so it's, it should be that we teach children you don't have to be just good in one thing. You can learn to appreciate a lot of disciplines and learn how to build a house. Well, your passion is clear <laughs> in, in so many areas, and, and I hope it's contagious, and I'm sure it is. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been doing what you've uh, been doing for low these thank many you. years now. But thank you very much. I, I want to thank you so much, uh, Dr. Robowski, for spending some time with us. And we in St. Louis are looking forward to hearing from you in person on Monday. I appreciate that. I have a great deal of respect for your city 
uh, and for the state of Missouri. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Dr. Freeman Hrabowski. He'll keynote the Martin Luther King Observance at UMSL on Monday. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.